You have 24 minutes, the podcast from 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. What role can a city have in shaping and sustaining the cultural heritage of its LGBTQIA districts? Let's talk about that with Libby Harris, nighttime city manager for the City of Sydney in New South Wales, Australia. We'll learn about the City of Sydney's Nighttime Economy Office and how it interacts and plans with community stakeholders, other city departments, regional leaders, and state officials. We'll also gain insights into Sydney's commitment to its Oxford Street Precinct, a historically significant gay neighborhood. For 45 years, this precinct's nighttime economy has received a boost from Sydney's annual Mardi Gras Festival and Parade. This year, the nighttime economy and Mardi Gras were turbocharged as Sydney hosted World Pride, a major international LGBTQIA festival. Here are 24 Minutes with Libby Harris. Firstly, I'd just like to acknowledge the land in which uh, I'm on, which is the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to elders past and present. And my role involves coordinating the delivery of the city, city of Sydney's Open Sydney Strategy, which is council's vision uh, and plan for you know Sydney's nighttime economy. There's there's two of us whose role is permanently focused on nightlife as part of the nighttime city team, and my role's significantly changed over the past ten years as we've de- delivered key parts of the strategy. Uh, but we're part of a, a broader team um, comprised of about 15 staff, uh, so the city business team who really run programs to, you know, support economic development and support businesses in skills development and those sorts of things, and our safety team that looks at all the sort of pet public safety aspects across sort of the 24-hour economy. And your relationship, your relationship with the other departments, this team, are there representatives from like public safety, et cetera? Or? Uh, so public safety sits in our safe city team. Uh, we, walk, we work across the whole organisation um, with different areas. Um, so daily with our city business and safety colleagues within our own business unit, we, you know, share information every day. We leverage each other's work and work quite closely um, on different aspects of nightlife. For example, Oxford Street, you know, the team, our safe city team, we're working with them on developing a precinct safety team specifically for that district, which is very much the cultural home of the LGBTIQA plus community. Uh, but we work with our strategic planning team um, who develop our planning controls. So we're currently working with them on our entertainment sound, new, new entertainment sound planning controls working with them on our late-night training planning controls, which we updated in 2019. Our environmental health or compliance team, we work very closely with them on um, the ever-increasing noise complaints we're getting as our city comes uh, out of COVID and other compliance matters that are associated with nightlife businesses in particular. My team manages the Alfresco dining, dining program, which we established for COVID-19. We, we um, reclaimed road space uh, to help hospitality businesses give them more space outdoors. So we deal a lot internally with our civil infrastructure team, our planning assessments team, grant making. We do a lot of grants. So we work with our grant team, cleansing and waste teams. Uh, we're actually revisiting the Open Sydney strategy uh, we've just started now. So our strategy team who manage all of our, you know, 
strategic documentation. So we we work very broadly across the organisation um, and also with state government um, state government agencies and also sure. industry bodies as well. Sure. Now, so that provides some context for people who are listening. The um, metro area for Sydney is what about five point one million, but the city of cities population is what about two hundred and fifty thousand. All right, and there's been some give and take with Melbourne, right? With who's the largest city right now? (laughs) (laughs) We have a we have a lovely. Very healthy, competitive sort of spirit between Melbourne and Sydney. I love Melbourne. I go there um, several times a year. It's a it's a beautiful city, and we're very different. Um, but I call us sister cities. Uh, we're very different in character and nature, and um, yeah, yeah. Look, there's always that lovely uh, competitiveness. <laughs> now, and then outside, of course, and then outside the city of Sydney, there are these multiple jurisdictions, uh, and you have some collaborative role with them right now in terms of the nighttime economy. Haven't you created um, a nighttime economy like council? Tell me about uh, that. Well, back in 2017, uh, we actually established the New South Wales Nighttime Economy Council's Committee. Now, this is an informal group. Randall, it's not, um, it does have no authority. It's really a group of council officers uh, that we got together to share information on sort of best practice, nightlife development and management. And we run a range of sort of capacity building uh, events. Um, We meet monthly and just share information on what we're doing, what we're learning, what we're seeing. Um, So that's a really um, good way. And it's 14 of the biggest councils across New South Wales uh, are members of that group. Okay. And uh, it's, yeah, it's been highly valuable just to, um, you know, be in the room with like-minded people and share information on what everyone's doing and how we can also work together. We collaborated on submissions to state government to make changes. For example, I mean, the city advocated for many, many years to establish 24-hour economy office we didn't call it that at the time, but basically for state government to come to the party, so to speak, when it came right. to nightlife, these have such a big role. This group really is a, was one voice advocating to state government on, you know, the need for state government, greater leadership, a strategy and, and better coordination at state government level for nightlife. So that's been, um, you know, highly valuable in, in actually bringing together people all working on on nightlife across our... Now, the council, um, is it comprised of government employees or private sector or what? What's the composition? So this is just local government offices. Okay. And uh, that's that's very intriguing. That's a a very strong model. And you said it doesn't have kind of um, authority in in the sense of creating ordinances or anything like that. It's really kind of this advocacy group. Yeah, it's advocacy as well as what we call capacity building or knowledge sharing. So it's really about uh, people working in local government, sharing information about things like, you know, the City of Sydney, we're very well resourced as a council. We're probably the the most well resourced in New South Wales. Um, So we've got very good capacity. We do uh, a lot of work proactively and we will share that information with other councils. 
you know, back when we set up the group in 2017, I think there was only uh, two councils that had a nighttime economy strategy back then. It was the City of Sydney and a, a council called Penrith way out west. Right. Um, yeah. Since then, um, we've run events to actually help council officers understand the reason why you would have a strategy, but also how to go about it. So we've now got 14 councils in New South Wales that actually have a, a nighttime economy strategy or policy or some sort of document that speaks to uh, the development of nightlife and, and its importance. So That's very impressive. Congratulations mm -hmm. on that. So I want to talk a little bit specifically about the Central Business District, the CBD. Uh, that's a focus area for your work in the city of Sydney. This includes nighttime activity areas like George Street, Oxford Street, the Rocks, Darling Harbour. But I want to hear more specifically about Oxford Street and the Oxford Street LGBTQIA plus social and cultural place strategy. Tell me, tell me about how that's working and what the objectives are there. Yeah, the, I'll give you a little bit of a you know background so um, you can understand it. So Oxford Street is the historic heart of the queer community and the culture in Sydney. And it's also home to our annual Mardi Gras festival and street parade which really emerged as a, as a result of actually a protest back in 1978 uh, about gay rights, about the right to be gay and not be, uh, back then it was um, for, for men, it was a, a, a criminal offence to be gay. Hard to imagine now. Um, but, yeah, so it's home to the queer culture in Sydney and it's uh, also a late 24-hour late-night entertainment precinct. You know, back in the day, it used to be lined with gay nightclubs and bars and was the go-to place for a night out in Sydney if you were gay. Whilst it's still home to many gay establishments, it's been impacted over the years by changes in social trends and other factors like, I mean, for example, Tinder, you know, back in the day that meant gay men didn't have to go out to hook up. Um, you know, there was actually an influx of straight people into the area when it became cool to be gay, you know, um, we sort of changed the dynamic as well. It was also part of the city that was subject to the infamous, we call it lockout laws that were introduced right. by state government back in February 2014, and which had a very negative impact on nightlife in Sydney. Um, and as a result, you know, Oxford Street, whilst it's still, you know, a great place, there's many great places to go out. It is a shadow of its former self, you know, from its glory days in the 80s and 90s and in much need of revitalisation. So the reason why we have established this new Oxford Street uh, LGBTIQA plus social and cultural place strategy was it's actually a companion to new planning controls that were introduced in 2020, which are designed to revitalise the area. So back in 2020, Council identified uh, Oxford Street as a key cultural centre in the city's local strategic planning statement, which really sets the character for an area. Um, this was really capitalising on the fact that it was a late-night entertainment precinct, but also its proximity to two major art schools, um, Right. And also, you know, it was about changing the planning controls to encourage cultural uses and creative industries as a driver for change and a source of job creation and also placemaking. So the planning controls actually provide an incentive for building owners to invest in their properties and increase cultural and creative activity. Now, the word gentrification, many of your listeners right. would understand what that means. 
so there was concern during public consultation that, you know, this would result in the area um, becoming gentrified. Right. But the new planning controls actually provide for additional height and floor space for some buildings, but only, like, there's conditions. So it's only if the heritage fabric is protected, at least 10% of the floor area is used for cultural and creative purposes, um, and the space actually contributes to Oxford Street activity and role as a local centre. So really the, the, the vision is about, so the planning controls speak to, I guess, you know, investment into um, development, um, but the, the, the actual play strategy speaks to retaining the social and cultural heritage of the area and actually enables us to work very proactively with the local community on that. Um, so, yeah, one of the key feedbacks during the development of the planning controls was, you know, to preserve the social and cultural connection to the place. By social um, and cultural, I, I assume that you're speak, speaking not only in terms of what uh, the arts uh, schools that are anchoring this area, but also the, the gay fabric in the history. So when the businesses are incented to go in and develop or finish out or complete a project, they also have an obligation to be mindful of both of those things. Is that what you're saying? 100%. You know, so the, the place strategy has four key, key principles and also five key priorities. And we're working on those priorities now, you know, and it's all about the, um, you know, so the five pre priorities are recognising the historic LGBTIQA plus places and spaces. And we do this by, for example, you know, just before World Pride took place, the actual Mardi Gras Street Parade, the old Darlinghurst Police Station where people were taken to and bashed after they were arrested, um, you know, in the protests in 1978, was heritage listed. Um Work has also been undertaken to include other buildings identified in the area um, for their social, cult social, cultural and historic significance to the queer community on an inventory list uh, of Oxford Street's heritage conservation area. So sort of, you know, really recognising that social and cultural heritage and the connection to this place that the LGBTIQA plus community have, both historically but also currently and and really looking to retain that and build upon that actually into the future. I'm always impressed by how different cities gain community buy-in and grassroots ownership in this. Can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, you know, oftentimes if you've got a, a community such as the Oxford Street uh, uh, area and uh, the, they begin to sense that the city officials and elected officials and development communities beginning to look at them, it can create a chasm and a fear. Yeah. How did you manage that? Lots of public engagement and consultation. So throughout the well, past several years, so during the development of the planning controls, uh, we we consult extensively. So we don't just consult and, and then go away and make the plan and that's it. We we consult deeply and broadly um, through a range of mechanisms from surveys to information sessions to, you know, with, with Oxford Street, with that work, there was forums with businesses. So we, we also look at specific stakeholder groups. So we community groups and, and LGBTIQA plus 
um, community organisations, looking at the sort of intersections across all of um, the stakeholders that are involved. Um, but we received over 1,800 separate pieces of community feedback during the public consultation. We ran workshops, surveys, um, walking tours, events for the students in the area as well. So we then used that to frame up the strategy or the planning controls as it was, so both of those things. And then we reflect that back to the community to go, mm -hmm. this is what we heard, this is what we heard you said, is that right? And we go back for a second consultation. And I think that's what we found very effective in actually getting one community buy-in, but the trust of the community. The, sure. we, the City of Sydney Council has um, a lot of trust with the local community. There's always going to be people that are unhappy because <laughs> you can't please everybody all of the time. Right. But I think we do listen and we do reflect what the community uh, aspirations are for their local area into our plans. So that's very much front and centre what, of what the city does. That's very impressive. And I'm unaware of any other city that's approaching this particular issue is historical issue as well as cultural issue and you're to be applauded for that uh, we casually mentioned the world pride sydney world pride now the sydney mardi gras has already been a remarkable event i have friends who just they go to sydney just for that event and what it celebrated its 45th year about i think this That's year great. and this year the mardi gras was exponentially boosted by world pride and World Pride is a festival that took place in the, well, it took place the first time in the Southern Hemisphere. This was the seventh World Pride since the inaugural event in Rome in 2000. You manage that contract, correct, with World Pride. So this dynamic between having suddenly the world come to Sydney in addition to the Mardi Gras, you were in the middle of that. Yes, yes, I was, but there were many, many, many people involved in this. So, um it involved our state government colleagues who actually provided that coordination role because of, um, you know, any major event in Sydney, uh, the state government actually has a major event team that's specifically charged with coordinating the government's response and supporting um, the event organiser. Um, and the City of Sydney is part of that. So we're a, a, a member of, you know, many of the planning groups that were, were part of that. So when I say, you know, I managed the contract, so the City of Sydney, we um, provided, you know, sponsorship to Sydney World Pride of close to $2 million over, you know, from the initial bid um, to host the festival in 2019 to once they were successful contributing to funding the event planning and delivery of the festival. So my role was um, very much focused on, um, supporting World Pride to navigate the City of Sydney's approvals process because part of it is obtaining approvals to run closed streets and, and, and do all of the things that they did. Um, so really providing a support to the World Pride event organisers, um, but also coordinating the city's response and, and running a group internally to sort of coordinate how we were um, supporting the event as well. well it, looked, it looked extraordinary and the programming was 
off the charts. The images of Sydney during World Pride and the Mardi Gras were just inviting. And, and so tell me, do you have any preliminary data on the um, positive effect that those two combined events have had on Sydney? Um, look, there's not, not, well, not yet. Not really. Yes okay. and no. You know, um, we, we closed Oxford Street for two days, which was phenomenal. I never thought I'd see that happen, but it happened. Um, and established, you know, pride villages in and around Oxford Street. Um, so, you know, there was 240,000 unique visitors to that area over the nine days, um, specifically to pride villages. This is not including the Oxford Street um, Mardi Gras parade, that street um, parade, which, you know, um, gets sort of close to a million people. Um, but, yeah, that was really positive. You know, there's over two and a half weeks, three 300 plus free and ticketed events, including opening, closing concerts, human rights conference, the First Nations gathering space, the Pride March over the Sydney Harbour Bridge, which was incredible, 50,000 people. Of course, the annual Mardi Gras parade, which was bigger and better than, you know, ever before. Um, parties upon parties upon parties, Bondi Beach Party, there was a, a in, Women's, the biggest women's party I've ever been to, you know, close to over, you know, close to 3,000 people in Sydney Town Hall, an arts, extensive arts and culture program, a sporting program, and also their Pride Amplified program, which was businesses could register that they were running a, an event um, and they could sort of access some marketing material out of that. As you said, the Sydney Opera House, um, you know, had the the projections on the opera house with the progress pride flag we had you know the property council of new south wales got together with some of their big building owners in the cbd and they illuminated you know six buildings in the progress pride flag colors we had 45 rainbows across the city I we saw had those. you know in on buildings it was you know progress pride flags everywhere it was amazing. It was, um, you know, it was really special, Randall. It was the the whole city got behind it, and it was that's extraordinary. Um, and uh, in particularly, it's coming to Washington D.C. next in twenty twenty five. I would suspect that the nighttime manager there will have a responsibility with that, and that it goes to Amsterdam. I think uh, after that, but. Uh, to, to model what happened in Sydney and how Sydney managed it and how the, how the city leadership and the civic response to it was just impressive. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, replicate that in the States. And although the political climate here is shifting just a little bit, makes me a little nervous. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking with Libby Harris. She's the nighttime city manager with the city of Sydney. I'm going to have uh, uh, many links to uh, the city of Sydney's work uh, on uh, on our website at 24hour nation but I'll also include some specific links to the nighttime economy page as well as the Oxford Street precinct page where you can follow along and keep up on the work that they're doing specifically in that district one thing but, I uh, haven't mentioned was um around Oxford Street is yep. um and it'll be sort of live on our website um in the coming weeks months um is an oxford street precinct lgbtiqa plus business charter or we're calling it the pride business charter which really sets out four commitments 
So businesses opting into that charter uh, will, you know, um, commit to honouring and sharing the histories and culture of Oxford Street. They'll ensure, you know, communities are safe and supported. You know, they'll commit to creating welcoming and inclusive spaces for LGBTIQA plus people. They'll also increase employment and business opportunities for LGBTIQA plus people across the Oxford Street precinct. That document, you know, was developed by communities. You know, the City of Sydney developed it, but it's, it is basically community directed and led. Um, there's a companion guidebook that goes with that that really speaks to how you could actually put those commitments into practice. But that document is going to be really fundamental in uh, getting all of the people, because we're not talking about buildings, we're talking about people, that um, businesses are critical to sustaining the local character of the area. Um, that they get on board and make those commitments. The city will be providing training to all of their staff and particularly security staff as well when it comes to nightlife, um, that they, they are creating the environment that is welcoming and inclusive for the LGBTIQA plus community. So that's a really important piece of work that we'll, we'll be, you know, working forward with. We've actually established the group we set up um, after public consultation, we actually set up a working group of local, very diverse LGBTIQA plus community organisations, local businesses um, to actually work with the city for moving forward to actually support us and guide us on delivering new initiatives for the area. And that's going to be really fundamental to to developing the Oxford Street precinct moving forward, so that's a really, really critical piece of work that we're. I can't we're wait to see it, on. and as soon as as soon as it as soon as it's up, I will amplify it around the world. You can you can be assured of that. Hopefully, nice to meet we'll you. get you over here to Sydney sometime soon. I would Maybe love to. And, and <laughs> the, the challenge would be getting me to leave. So. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should start practicing my g'day. Or, in this instance, my goodnight. This has been Season 2, Episode 11 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation. Visit us at 24hournation.com and follow us on social media at 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. <laughs>